shots. We process about 110 pounds of jalapenos by hand to uh, <laughs> get the seeds and the veins out. Uh, hopefully wearing gloves. Uh, yes. You, I found that out the hard way once. Um, even I had one pair on, I needed to put two pairs on to prevent those oils from gaining on my skin. So it was a painful 24 hours learning experience for me. Cheers. You've stumbled on into the Tap Takeover Podcast. Stuck in a dark and dreary cube, doing the same work over and over in a soul-crushing job. Your mind naturally drifts to what you could be doing with your life instead. And when you're a home brewer, most start with a dream to own their own brewery and start making great beer yourself. Thus begins the story of Brewfinity in Economic, Wisconsin. And today I have Chad Ostrom joining me to talk about his journey and how he ended up where he is today. Thanks for joining us today, Chad. Thanks, Jim, for having us. Let's start out. How long have you been home brewing? I started out home brewing in 1996. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, Gave me a homebrew kit for my birthday. She's probably regretting it now because it turned into me purchasing a brewery. But uh, I've been homebrewing basically uh, since 1996, and I thought when I quit my day job, I might actually uh, open a brewery down the road. But things kind of came to fruition with uh, the existing facility here in Oconomowoc. Sweet Mullets went up for sale. I decided to move forward and purchase it at the time because it was a turnkey operation and everything was set up ready to go. Yeah, so you were working, you had a regular day job, probably making you pretty pretty decent money. Yep, I was in IT. I did software engineering for uh, companies and it was business to business, so a lot of web-based development and spending a lot of time on the computer in front of a screen and, you know, when you get a little frustrated with your job, then you kind of start doing internet searches and one of the ones I always did was uh, breweries for sale in Wisconsin, so... Nothing ever, nothing ever hit, so. So you were always looking to buy a brewery that was already in motion. Did you ever want to do one from scratch? Well, I always thought, you know, I'd either build it from scratch or, you know, buy existing. I guess the thing that I always struggled with is how much square footage do you need for a brewery? That's, I I had no idea. I mean, I couldn't, sure, if I was serious at the time, I could have reached out to people and helped, you know, lay it out and stuff like that. So I, I... just assumed I'd either purchase the equipment and build one out, or if I happen to find one that was for sale, you know, I always entertained that idea. So back in 2000, there was an opportunity I missed. There was a brewery in Waukesha called RWS that went up for sale. Is I think it's only a three-barrel system or something like that. But uh, back in the day before, you know, really the internet and everybody have their web pages, we would call on the phone and try seeing when their tour schedule was. And we weren't able to get a hold of anybody, you know, just go to their voicemail or whatever, and there is no details about tours. Well, I knew at the time that they were getting their ingredients from the frugal home brewer in in Waukesha. So one day I'm in there buying ingredients. I'm like, hey, what's going on with RWS? And he tells me the whole story about how the owner uh, was looking to sell it. He had a hard date. He was retiring and wanted to move down to Florida. 
had a buyer kind of on the hook, and the buyer kept lowballing him, lowballing him. And eventually he decided to, you know, cancel his, his uh, license and scrap the equipment and move down to Florida. I'm like, wow, you know, it's like, well, what was he asking for it? And he's like, $10,000. I'm like, my <laughs> jaw hit the, hit the table. Um, and I'm like, well, when did this happen? Last week. Oh, man. So I literally missed the opportunity by a week back in 2000. I went home to my wife. I'm like, hey, I almost bought a brewery today. She's like, you wouldn't do that without asking me, would you? And I explained the whole story to her, told her it was only $10,000. And she's like, eh, I probably would have been okay with that. So that's kind of where my internet search for breweries for sale kicked up uh, during my IT career. And uh, back in 2015, when I did my search, there was a brewery that popped up in southeastern Wisconsin. Of course, I'm thinking Kenosha, you know, somewhere not really... Uh, feasible for me but um, as I did more research turned out it was sweet mullets and it's a half hour from my house I'd been here several times before so I knew the facility and thought hey talk to my wife give her some beers you know maybe <laughs> loosen up her decision to allow me to uh, move forward with purchasing sweet mullets walk me through that conversation with the, the wife because there's there's obviously an economic impact to, to the family sure um, taking on a brewery uh, full-time Obviously, because you yep, and then some, <laughs> and then some. some, and you know, as I like to tell people, there's not a whole lot of money to be made in running a brewery. No, you're pretty much taking the oath of poverty, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. How did that conversation go, and how did you convince her? My wife knew I had wanted to do this for a while. I kind of explained to her, you know, this was a second opportunity I've had now, and if I let this one go. Apparently, everybody I talked to knows that I was interested in running a brewery one day. Um, talking to my boss when I told him I had purchased a brewery, he's like, well, that doesn't surprise me. You've been talking about that for four <laughs> years now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I talked to my wife a little bit. She knew the whole situation with uh, RWS and everything, and I just kind of laid it out. It's like, you know, I want to do this at some point. You know, would you be fine with me? doing it now basically at the time i was thinking i would go part-time in it and she was she maybe begrudgingly gave me permission to to move forward with the purchase and then once we got into it or i got into it i figured it'd be a lot of work but i underestimated that significantly <laughs> so yeah there's probably a little uh, buyer's remorse or you know per permission granting remorse uh, on her side because you know i pretty much am here seven days a week right now so when you purchased it, it was Sweet Mullets, uh, but you kept that name for a while before changing over to Brewfinity. Uh, why did you keep the name, and then what made you change over, and tell us about this name. Sure. Because it was an operating brew pub at the time, uh, when I purchased it, um, the previous owners that started it were no longer on site. They were all the picture, basically. Um, there were three investors that were kind of holding it together, so to speak, until they found a purchaser. Um, so as I started the process, it took me nine months to actually get my permit, my federal and state licenses in place to take over the the brewing or take over basically my company and buy out the other one. So I needed the license in place. Uh, and that took nine months. So we had it operational as Sweet Mullets during that time. The investors kind of didn't want to wait nine months, so they 
let me operate it under their license. So we did that for nine months, basically, and then the last thing I wanted to do was jump right in after I got my license and figure out how to change the name. So we operated on, under Sweet Mullets for about another year and a half, and then it became obvious to us that we needed to make a name change. People were asking where the name came from, and we kept referencing the previous owner. There were some other external factors that played into that decision as well. We decided that if we wanted to make this our own, we needed to change the name. We got together with a group of friends, brainstormed over some beers, came up with like probably eight different names, ranging from, you know, quirky to, well, to Brufinity. Uh, <laughs> but what happened with Brufinity was we were throwing na- our ideas around and uh, Beer Infinity came up as one. And then it's like Brew Infinity, and then we just kind of mash that together and get Brewfinity. So we had taken the top three names that we had to another group of friends and basically kind of ran through all three of them with the friends. All the names were, I'll say, IT-based a little bit, like the Infinity symbol is actually in our logo. Some of the other names kind of went back into our, our IT career is where the name came from. All the names we had options of picking were basically somehow related to our careers. So Brufinity is the one that everybody liked the best. Right, awesome. So let's talk about that licensing. Uh, Sweet Mullets was originally licensed as a brew pub. Correct. uh, But now you're licensed as a production brewery. Correct. Uh, Explain to us a little, and our listeners, uh, what's the difference between those licensing and why was it important for you to move over to being a brewer's license? Sure. So in the state of Wisconsin, there are two classifications for basically production breweries. One is a brew pub and the other is a brewery. Brew pub has to have a liquor license with it, so you can serve uh, hard liquor, spirits, wine. Um, And with a brewery license, you cannot. There's some finagling that's coming about, I won't say finagling, but some evolution that's coming about that's allowing I'll just say breweries to offer those, you know, they have a distillery on site. So, uh, or a wine license, they make wine, um, which gives them then the option to serve it in their, their tap tap room. Um, the wine license is really, uh, kind of a gray area from my understanding. Um, some municipalities grant them, you know, based off whatever the requirement is, but, there's a list of requirements you have to meet to get a classy wine license so you could serve wine. I just don't bother getting into that. But the brew pub license, everybody kind of equates with a restaurant on site. You know, you produce the beer on site as well for the restaurant. Well, a brewer or a brewery license allows you to do a lot more with the brewery operation versus the brew pub license. Uh, as a brewery, you can contract brew for other breweries. You can, uh, the wholesale numbers are a lot higher. You are restricted on the number of locations as a brewery. You can only have two. As a brew pub, you can have six. Wanted to reach out to a couple other people that needed a place to brew, and basically to do that, I had to convert to a brewery. So we kind of looked at the numbers and decided that, well, we're not you know doing a ton with our hard liquor anyway. You just have rail stuff, so let's let's make the change and see what happens. You had been doing some contract brewing. Do you still do that? or? Yeah, we do uh, contract brew for a handful of breweries yet. We do um, one down in uh, Paoli, uh, Hop Garden. We brew for them yet. They're probably our biggest um, uh, contract that we do. 
we were brewing for Steel Tank, um, and we do occasionally yet, but they recently bought a brewery production facility themselves. So they're moving a lot of the production over to their, their brewery. We do uh, a gluten-free beer for uh, Old A Brewing. They give us the recipe, and we you know, produce it here as well. I think those are the only three right now we're, we're doing a contract with. Here on the Tap Takeover podcast, uh, we like to challenge the brewers. If you could take over the taps on the Tap Takeover podcast, what four, five, six beers uh, would you put on that tap list to tell your story? One of them, actually, we don't have in, we have in very light production right now. It's called The Drifter. Uh, that beer I kind of developed as a home brewer to make it easy drinking where it could actually warm up and it wouldn't taste awful. That was one I kind of perfected as a home brewer, so I brought that into production uh, within the first year or two of owning the place. The other beer I would say is Day Drinker. That was kind of a challenge to myself because as a home brewer, they always tell you it's very difficult to make a very light, delicate beer because you're going to get all the off flavors to come through on the beer. So I want to see if I could actually pull it off. And what style of beer is that? It's a premium light or premium American lager. We were just going to do a small batch of that. And then a uh, owner of uh, Nixon Park Beer Garden stopped in. We had been chatting with him and stuff. And he was going to put three of my beers on tap. And he picked Stay Drinker as one of them. The beer that was going to be one and done turned into, well, let's, we'll brew it for the summer. And next thing you know, that's one of our staples here. It's, it's, uh, during the summer, it's our best seller. We pretty much have that in production almost continuously in the, in the brew house. Uh, we take it to all the beer gardens, all the festivals. That's by far the beer that moves the fastest for us. Outside of that, my other one that I like is uh, Snowflake Joe. It's a white stout. So everybody kind of, asked where the name came from well we needed something that was white at the time and it's like well snow is white so that works so a snowflake and then joe is for coffee people always question do you have a alternate meeting on that that beer is are you trying to insinuate something it's like no actually it's not that that creative but uh white stout's real interesting because it's pale in color uh, but it has the coffee and chocolate uh, tones in it too and the mouthfeel of a stout I had run across a sample of that when we were on vacation down in Florida, just at, at the brewery we were at, and then uh, never really, I wanted to produce something like that, but never had the opportunity. So when I came up with the white stout recipe, it actually was very close to what I had down in Florida. So it kind of was a double hit for me. It was, um, it turned out to be a delicious beer. It's uh, coffee and chocolate played together, and you know, I, I like drinking that all the time even though it is pretty high in caffeine because we found out that a blonde roast uh, has more caffeine than like a dark roast because mm-hmm. it doesn't burn off the the, the caffeine. So uh, after drinking a couple of them at first, you know, I woke up two hours later in bed, heart racing, <laughs> wide awake, couldn't figure out what was going on. Even so. after drinking a high ABV beer. So how do you get those roasted notes without using a dark roasted malt? So you just fake it out. So okay. um, normally you'd put like a chocolate malt in uh, to give it the chocolate flavor, and we just use a chocolate flavoring basically. And okay. for the coffee tones, we use straight coffee. Mm. So we just uh, put the ground beans into the into the uh, beer and uh, let it kind of, I'd say, cold brew almost in there. 
it's not it's not like we actually roast the coffee or you know brew it brew it up that way we we put the beans in cold so you do ground them there's a lot of discussions around coffee additions and beer mm-hmm. and some use whole bean and and thyme so how much time do you uh rest the beer on the beans i would say probably about a week okay that's so that's a we, long time yeah we do a coarse grind or have the uh uh, Barris Brothers is where we get the uh, coffee from. We have them do a coarse grind for us, and then we roasted in Watertown. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Any what else beers would you put on this tap to really tell tell the story of I, I of would, Chad too? Right. I mean what. Sure. What beer would would describe Chad? So when I took the place over, the question I got most was, would we keep Jorge? And I'm like, you know, sure. You know, I, I'm not going to turn down people who are asking for it. And, you know, it's like I don't want to tick off the you know remaining customers I have when I'm buying a place. So I researched um, how the uh, old owners would do the jalapenos and... I changed the base beer completely. They used to do an ale. I made it a lager. Found out how they do the jalapeno additions and basically duplicated that in the new base beer and kept Jorge around. All right. Are you willing to share how you do those additions? Because, as you say, you get all the flavor of the the jalapenos, but none of the heat. Sure. That seems like a tough thing to pull off when when dealing with It's very laborious, too. So the way you basically, we just want the... Uh, flush flavor of the uh, Jorge so the white veins inside is where the heat is as well as the seeds we process about 110 pounds of jalapenos by hand to uh, (laughs) get the seeds and the veins out Uh, hopefully wearing gloves Uh, yes I found that out the hard way once Um, even I had one pair on I needed to put two pairs on to prevent those oils from gaining on my skin it was a painful 24 hours learning experience for me yeah, so that one, if I have fifth beer I would add into that, kind of with the evolution of everything, would be our Heels Up, our wit beer. I can't say with the Heels Up because that was a recipe put together by my sales manager, Jill. During COVID, we we had hired her maybe about six six months before COVID hit. And, of course, nobody she couldn't go out to visit bars and restaurants. Nobody wanted her in their facility. They weren't buying beer anyway. So during that time, I actually brought her into the brew house and taught her how to brew beer. And then we have a pilot system, and I kind of challenged her on the pilot system with things. So I kind of say as her graduation brew, um, I made her brew an ESB. And she's like, what's an ESB? And it's like, go research it, you know? So she researched it, felt it was rather boring, which, you know, it is it is kind of a boring style, but it, it does have a purpose. But she added some smoked malt to it to give it a little more complexity and character. With that, I kind of turned over the uh, pilot system to her, and she comes up with recipes. I kind of review them with her, and then she's she comes up with you know some very unique things that perhaps I would never take on myself. I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to beer. Four ingredients. There shouldn't be fruit in there. But <laughs> now with, you know, Jill is kind of challenging me a little bit with that. So the Heels Up is our wit beer. Uh, we picked Omega strain uh, yeast. It's a Lithuanian farmhouse strain. 
uh, high, it ferments about 80, 80, I think we fermented about 82 degrees. It can go up to 95, but we kept it on the low end. We added ginger to it, which was her idea, sweet uh, orange peel, and then coriander, which is traditional in a wit. The ginger is a unique thing in there. Um, that was her idea, and we uh, have that for the summer, and it's kind of, I'd say, the progression of the brewery. You know, it's it's not just me that's going to be making all the decisions on the brewing. I like to take input from others, and, you know, the fact that my sales manager now is a apprentice brewer is pretty cool, <laughs> I think. So, And with the Lithuanian farmhouse yeast, of course, uh, all those uh, yeasts are starting to become popular, uh, Quebec. Yep. has really taken over the brewing world and so it, it, it's great to see that you're brewing you know something with it although uh, you may not have without uh, a little little challenge and we, we've noticed that with other brewers a, as well who have that traditional background i want to talk about the beer that i'm drinking here uh the 80s love child sure. uh, i'm a big hop head especially the east coast so east coast style is kind of a lot of late additions dry hopping generally ends up low IBU. Uh, this one you got at 70 IBU, even though it doesn't taste like it. Tell me more about this beer and how it came around and uh, how you brew it. Sure. One of my customers actually kind of suggested making a, a IPA using, well, Citra and Mosaic hops, which are, at the time, are almost impossible to get your hands on. And if you can, they're very expensive. But what we ended up doing was we use uh, the cryo version of Citra, the cryo version of Mosaic in there. You don't get a lot of the greenness that you get with like the original pellets. Um, it's You can use half as much pound per pound or ounce per ounce than you would if it was the traditional uh, Citra pellets or Mosaic pellets. So we do dump right around, uh, well, we dump 22 pounds of cryo hops into a batch. So that'd be the equivalent of 44 pounds of well, 22 of Citra and 22 of Mosaic into that beer. Uh, we do it all late edition at the Whirlpool. The IBUs, it technically says it's 70, but that's the program I use to, to calculate that. It's <laughs> Realistically, it's probably around you know 40-ish or something like that. We put uh, our bittering hops in just at 60 minutes, and that's all we do. Wait till the Whirlpool, and then we add in the, the cryo hops. So what's the temperature that you Whirlpool at? Uh, we whirlpool below 180, okay, uh, so that we don't pull any of the bitterness out of the the yeah. hops. And cryo hops are—I'll just call them kind of delicate. You would never use them to bitter a beer, or to use as a bittering hop. They're too expensive, and especially the cryo version is really designed for the aroma and flavor. Uh, do any dry hopping on this? That one we do not. It's just late edition uh, whirlpool, and that's all we do with that one. So you've also got a couple adjunct flavored beers. Mm-hmm specifically like uh two porters sure but so i, I was curious about because they're little abv porters versus uh the, the hot thing is you know high abv stouts and sure. you know, thick and as as molasses uh, so why what was that decision behind going with uh the porters so um the one in particular uh the s'mores porter the you're killing me s'mores that one we keep right around six and a half seven uh we kind of find our clientele steers clear of beers that are seven or better we're in the middle of nowhere and they have a long ways to drive so if you're drinking beers that are six plus you know it's you're maybe having one or two and that's about it so a lot of our beers we try to keep down in abv we do offer a couple higher abv but the bulk of them we actually try to keep more reasonable 
just you know so people can enjoy them one two three of them and not have to worry as much so the s'mores porter we won a silver medal with uh, at the u.s beer open last year that's kind of was designed as a campfire uh porter there's some smoked malt in it and then it's got all the flavors of the s'more in the beer as well the other one is uh the chocolate nut house that's a chocolate peanut butter porter we've done that kind of seasonally on and off since i bought the brewery the flavoring we use in there we basically use a flavoring from a flavor company to get the uh, peanut butter and the uh, chocolate in there we used to do cocoa nibs, but they're kind of a pain. And then we did some experimenting with the chocolate flavoring from the company we use, and pretty, pretty similar in in flavor and stuff. So we moved to the just using the uh, chocolate flavoring into the beer. And then with that one, we had some lactose for the creaminess, uh, smoothness of the beer. Do you have a preferred base malt that you use for uh, most of your beers, or does it vary from each beer? It really depends on what style of beer we're doing um, i would say the bulk of what we do is pale ale pilsen or just a base malt um that's kind of run the gamut i know it's like oh there's four choices and you just named three of them <laughs> uh, it really depends on the beer style that we're yeah. going for so like the ipas typically we use a pale malt for our day drinker we use uh, pilsen malt and then you know if we're if we're doing something a little bit more malty or heavy then it traditionally would be pale ale that we go with just because it has more of a bready mouthfeel to it. So we do have a listener question. Uh, this does come in from Mike Rye. Hey, Mike. Uh, when you took over from Sweet Mullets, there were a number of sour beers on tap, and now there are none. Uh, any plans on brewing a sour, even uh, if it's a kettle sour? I will say absolutely not. <laughs> However, <laughs> we have done a kettle sour in the past, so... The reason we would do a kettle sour is it doesn't affect, um, it stays in the kettle, and then when you're basically brewing the beer, you're going to kill off any of the bacteria in there. Like putting it in the fermenters, I'm not a big fan of that just because you don't want to then move a, what you expect to be a clean beer on top of that and then find out that you left some of the funk behind that sours your batch. The previous uh, owners had done a lot of souring, and I think when I bought the place, I went back and looked, and I think i had purchased from their inventory 51 barrels of sour beer and it took about two and a half years to get through those and then when we were looking at the analyzing you know what beers were selling and stuff we we found that even even though we we're kind of known for our sour beers we weren't really selling that many sour beers so at the time i i made the decision to kind of move away from it uh we had six on tap when i bought the place and that was probably five too many anyway so as time went on, I started dwindling that down on the tap lines and putting a different style on. And one of the things we try doing really with our beers here is if we have an opening coming up uh, on the taps, we look at the board and kind of try figuring out what style we don't have that might be a interesting thing to, to try. So right now we have a, a German alt that we have waiting for a tap line to, to kick right now. Um, we're calling it alt timers so <laughs> alt means old in german so old timers but i just know our clientele is going to switch that to alzheimer's so <laughs> but that's fine whenever we name a beer it's it's fun to see if the customers give it a different name so day drinker will occasionally turn into daydreamer we had one called tailspin that or tailwind they called it tailspin 
Uh, we did a Belgian triple called Bruges Luge, and that turned into Booze Cruise. So we try our best to name beers, but a lot of times the uh, customers come up with more creative names that, that make sense. So. Yeah, because you do need to cater to your clientele, right? Sure. I mean, a lot of brewers go, I mean, I'm going to brew the beer that I like to drink. But that's not necessarily what, what's going to sell. So you've gone through that experience. and Yeah, and to that to that point, uh, Okanwaka is very uh, traditional German-style beer drinkers. We don't get a ton of requests for, you know, fruited sours here. People like their lagers. Um, our best seller in the tap room is uh, Amber Lager that we, we brew. That was kind of one that just, you know, we did once and we're expecting it to be done. And then we looked at the numbers and it's like, wait a minute, we got we to gotta keep that beer around. And that's kind of what we do with all of our beers is we look at the numbers, see if it's worth brewing again. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a Vienna Lager that was kind of the same boat. We were planning on brewing it once and be done. We started talking about, you know, what we're going to brew to replace it, and we looked at the numbers, and it's like it's our second best seller in the tap room over the last three months. We we need to brew this one again. So we'll keep it on. We'll kind of keep brewing something until we see the numbers drop on, and then we'll find something to replace it or come up with a new style that people can try. Yeah, as an IT guy, metrics must be really important to you, right? Yes, yes, very <laughs> much so. So we're always analyzing, looking at stuff, trying to figure out where our best bang for the buck is. So you do, you have your tap room, but you also do some canning, right? Yeah, we have our tap room here. Uh, it's very uh, hidden well, so I always joke around that the police don't even know where it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of foot traffic here. And even when I first purchased it, I kind of realized we weren't getting a ton of foot traffic. We're on the far west side of Oconomowoc. Just, you know, people who go to work are probably driving more towards Milwaukee and never drive west. So out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. You're doing some can. You can buy cans here at the the tap room. Uh, where else uh, can folks find your beers? Sure, we uh, have our beers out in the marketplace. Um, mostly, I'd say Lake Country, Discount Liquors, Total Wines. We try to support the lo- local guys as much as possible too. So, you know, like Corner Stop and Dousman carries our product. Flannery's here in town, Sonoma Cellars. Those are the first two we started with. They've been great for us. And then you know, if you venture out, Discount Liquors carry our product. Total Wines. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of them. Uh, we're in uh, a lot of supermarkets now. A lot of the Piggly Wigglies carry our products. Albrecht Century and Delafield. Uh, there's a bunch of gas stations around the area that have also picked us up. Uh, we probably have right around 40 or 50 retail accounts right now, uh, and I might even be underselling that. But yeah, so uh, my sales manager has been the one to kind of drive that whole thing. We got into canning just from the standpoint we knew the foot traffic in the tap room wasn't going to carry the business. We do a lot of keg sales out there, but we decided to uh, get into canning. I was down in Florida, and uh, I was trying to make the decision of bottling or canning. We were at a liquor store buying our beer for the week, and I'm lamenting this to my wife, and she says, look in your look in your cart. Do you have any bottles? I'm like, hmm, no. So we ended up going with canning. Uh, we chose not to purchase a canning system ourselves so we use a mobile canner that comes uh, out of oak creek Willcraft can they've done a great job for us uh, when i looked at the um, cost of canning uh, systems uh, the low-end ones were right around 65 to seventy thousand dollars and i thought it was more wise to put those efforts elsewhere versus having a machine that i might be using let's even say i use it twice a month that might 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 be extensive and 
that's a lot of money just be sitting there idle. So Willcraft Can uh, started up operations right around the time we were looking to get into canning, and we've been working with them ever since. So they back up to our loading dock, unload the canning system, set up in front of our tanks, hook up to our tanks, and we uh, do the cane run right here. They pack everything up, head out, and you know we have we have our beer in cans at that point. As we wrap up here, you've gone through the experience of, of buying an existing brewery uh, versus starting from scratch. What advice would you give to someone uh, currently contemplating this idea themselves? Uh, the first thing I would say is. Unless you're 100% sure of the name and are comfortable with it, I would say change the name. You want to make a clear break from the previous ownership to you. Um, even if you buy, buy an existing one, a lot of times people don't realize it's truly new ownership. Um, I'd also say don't be afraid to shut down for a couple months to make it clear that you know this is new ownership. We kept an existing facility up and running, and in retrospect, I probably would have opted to shut down for three three months to to make a clear break and kind of, you know, make sure people realize that it's not the same ownership. So those are two pieces of advice I'd say for anybody who's looking to buy an existing one. If you're looking to build one out yourself, you know, then you can do whatever you'd like. So, <laughs> Would you buy again if given the opportunity? I would probably, now knowing what I know, I would build one out from scratch versus... Uh, you know, buying an existing facility. It'd have to be the perfect facility for me to move to, and it probably makes more sense just to build out from scratch. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chad, but uh, looks like we're all out of beer here Oh, today, no. So. Well, luckily I know a place that brews some, <laughs> so. So let's maybe head over there and uh, get some refills. For the Tap Takeover podcast, uh, this is Jim. This is Chad. And uh, this has been another solid, non-fail production. No more beer, no more beer for you. He said there's no